0: Welcome to Indie Reads Aloud, a storytelling podcast with your host, Diana Catherine Plopa. Come, gather round, grab a snack, and listen to a story. Each week, we'll feature a new indie author with a story to tell. There are no long-winded interviews, no sales pitches, just stories. Most of the stories we'll tell will be family-friendly, but if they're not, you'll get fair warning before the reading begins. If you want to hear more, investigate the story notes for links to the author and where to buy their books. You can find us at dkpwriter.com. And now, sit back, relax, and listen to a story. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Indie Reads Aloud. I apologize. I'm having a little frog in my throat day today. So um, uh, bear with me. We'll get through it. But today we have a really fun guest. DA Reed is back in the studio again with me. I love this lady. Deborah writes some amazing stuff. She's a really good friend. And um, every time I think, Deborah that you can't write a new book, you write a new book. So (laughs) I'm I'm just thrilled to have you back. And I love it when you read out loud to me and to all our listeners. It's just so nice to have you back.
1: Oh, well, thank you.
0: This is an especially fun book. You're gonna be reading from the Wonderland Code today, um, uh, which is a thriller. And this one you co-authored with your husband, right?
1: I did. Um, my husband went to California with um his mom. Uh, we they needed or the his great uncle I'm sorry was very sick and had passed away and so they were going out to deal with his estate and things of that nature and um when they went into his house they just kind of found lots of things that they didn't really realize about his great uncle and so he was like you know this would make a really great story oh and it should also be more like a political type thing and I was like oh I don't (laughs) know how to write a political thriller Oh, so he graciously um, kind of helped me plot out the story and helped me with some of the, the points along the way, the story along the way as I was writing it. And uh, so we kind of wrote it together.
0: That's super fun. How neat that you and Matthew get to do that collaboration together. Yes, that's very, very fun. So for those of you who haven't met you Reed yet, and if you haven't, you should go back and listen to the past episodes because she's already got a bunch of books up there. So go back and listen. Um, But Deborah Reed writes as D.A. Reed, young adult novels from page turning thrillers to short stories based on challenges children and adults face every day. She also writes a wonderful mystery series that you really need to check out, super, super fun. Um, her books have received acclaim, notably from Moonbeam's Children's Book Awards in the category of Young Adult Fiction for All the Things We Didn't See. If you haven't read that book, oh my gosh, everybody go buy a copy. You need one for your shelf. Everybody should have this book. Uh, Dare Accepted in 2020 and um, Best Indie Book Award in the category of Young Adult Drama in for All the Things We Didn't See. Um, And nothing but gutters and pocket change in 2020 and an independent press award for distinguished favorite 2022 for all the things we didn't see i'm telling you guys you got to go get that book because it keeps winning award after award really go get it. Um, She also, as we mentioned writes suspense thriller fiction for adults, including three thrilling tales one killer book. Uh, the Caitlin O'Reilly Mystery Series and Web of Deceit, as well as a collection of humorous essays, chicken butt hair, tales of an over-caffeinated human. And I got to tell you, Deborah, every time I say that title, it just makes me giggle.
1: makes everyone giggle.
0: Well, (laughs) the cover in itself is really cool because a student artist drew that cover, which I think is amazing. Yes. Um, But then all the fun stories you tell in that book are just... (laughs) I I literally laughed out loud, giggled out loud, and my husband looked at me sideways because I was giggling <laughs> out loud reading. Very very fun. Um, you can find Deborah's short horror mystery, um, short horror stories, which were published in Share Your Scare, which was a Lulu anthology, and Annual Literary and Visual Arts Magazine, The Garfield Blake Review in addition to several of the anthologies, that pages promotions has produced for charity as well. So check those out. Deborah lives with her husband and her family of lovely children in Western Michigan. And we're so glad you're here. I, you're one of my all time favorite author people ever. Thank
1: you. That's such a big honor.
0: (laughs) I I just love your work so much. Today, you're going to read from the Wonderland Code. Tell us a little bit about the synopsis about this book.
1: Um, so kind of like my husband's experience, it's about a man who, um, David Caldwell, he does not realize that he had an uncle who was still alive and his, fam- his parents have both passed. And so all of a sudden, a lawyer contacts him and says, hey, your uncle has passed away and um, you inherit his estate. And David said, I didn't know I had an uncle who was still alive. So he makes the trip out to California and to find out more about his uncle, to find out what um, his estate even is. And um, he, while he's there, he finds out a lot about his uncle and some things that he was involved in that the family didn't realize. And it kind of turns into a very dangerous situation because, Um, he realizes that his uncle has created a code to hijack the national presidential election.
0: Okay. This sounds like a lot of fun. Yes.
1: So um, while he's there, he's um, he kind of comes under fire because the people who are looking for that code think now that David has it and he's still learning that this thing even exists. So He's trying to stay alive and to stop the hijacking of an election and all sorts of fun stuff.
0: Oh, my gosh. This just sounds like a great book. Wow. I know you shared a little bit of it um, in February when we had our book festival, and I put it on my TBR pile then. (laughs) Um, And now I think I need to move it a little higher on my TBR pile, (laughs) closer to the top.
1: It was a fun book to write. I'll I'll give you that. And when I say political thriller, I know there are some people who are like, oh, I don't do heavy political. Yeah. This is not a heavy political thriller. This is um, very minimal politics involved. Um, it is light def-
0: on the politics, heavy on the thriller.
1: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> right. There you go. That's a good way to say it. Light on the politics, heavy on the thriller.
0: <laughs> Perfect. I love it. So when you are ready, please take the microphone and read aloud for us. All right. And
1: I am going to start kind of where David arrives at his uncle's house in California. Okay. As he pulled into the driveway of 5730 Rolling Hill Drive, David noted the lush vegetation surrounding the house. Flower gardens held blossoms in full bloom, a magnolia tree near the front walkway shading them with its large waxy leaves. Palm trees peeked over the roof at the back of the house. David was pleasantly surprised. Mac had never married, was a confirmed and self-appointed bachelor for reasons unknown to the family, but he obviously took pride in the upkeep of his home. It was charming and should sell well. The hybrid store had barely clicked closed when hurried footsteps clattered along the concrete drive behind David. Turning, David saw a thin woman in exercise clothing and a baby on her hip scurrying toward him. A toddler with a halo of curls and clutching a Captain America figure hung from the back of his mother's shirt with his free hand. David? Are you David Caldwell? She sounded out of breath, but was remarkably put together for someone with two young kids. Hair pulled neatly back in a braid, face coated in more makeup than was to David's taste, but that didn't look bad on her. Most of the moms he knew wore sweatpants, food-stained t-shirts, their hair looked like they'd walked through a tornado, and makeup was a thing of the past, and would probably stay there. Uh, yeah. Alice? Expecting someone older, weren't you? Alice Diamante shifted the baby and brushed a non-existent errant hair out of her eyes. With emotion came the clack of keys clutched tightly in her hand. Sorry? David's face burned. Did she read mine's, or was he really that obvious? Your face. She tried pulling the little boy out from behind her, but he wasn't having it. You look surprised. Well, yeah. From their previous conversation david was expecting a gray-haired busybody in a moo, but there was no way he was telling alice her age had caught him off guard as well as her put-together appearance david might not be a savant for women were concerned but he knew that much sorry just been a long day david smiled ruefully and hoped she wouldn't push it oh i totally get it mac's neighbor flashed a perfect set of pearly whites obviously alice rolled her eyes and jerked her head toward the clinging children He had no clue what to say to that. Writers were typically introverts by nature, and David was no exception. Conversation for introverts felt like navigating a minefield. Paul sent a beautiful woman and her kids, and it was nearly impossible. I brought Max keys. Alice waved her hand, jingling the keys. I wasn't sure you'd have any. The lawyer sent me copies, but thank you. The baby began whimpering, clearly done with the strange man who was taking away her mother's attention, and Alice jiggled the child, much like she had the keys. "'Shh, Moira. "'Okay, well, if you need anything,' she jerked a thumb over her shoulder toward the adjacent house. "'Sure. Yeah. Thanks.' Alice turned away, dragging the little boy with her, then whipped back around so suddenly the tot almost fell over. She didn't seem to notice. "'I just wanted to thank you for coming.' Alice's earnest expression threw David off balance and caused all coherent thought to vacate the premises of his mind. Again, he really hoped he didn't have to talk to her all that much while he was there. David could do without that much embarrassment in his everyday life. Um, okay. It's just Alice shifted the squawking baby, Moira becoming more insistent as she beat a chubby palm against her mother's chest. Matt kept to himself a lot, but he was a good guy. You know, from the times we talked to him, We tried visiting him in the hospital, but he was so out of it I'm not sure he knew we were even there. David flushed, again, as he realized how it must look that no one from Mac's family had come out while he was sick. But how was David supposed to tell Alice that he didn't even know his uncle was in the hospital? That he didn't even remember the man himself until Mac's lawyer called him to tell him that his last living relative had died? No one deserves to have their life shuffled off to the dumpster by a stranger, you know? Now the toddler was inking on the back of Alice's shirt, almost knocking her off balance. Sammy, stop it. I just think it's better, Sammy, let go of mommy. To have someone in the family, someone who knew Matt go through the house. Shh, Moira. I mean, there has to be something of sentimental value there. Family history, that kind of thing. David was having a hard time following the conversation as it bounced from him to her children and back again. It was like conversing with someone with Tourette's. He didn't remember this happening when she called before and it was disconcerting. Not to mention highly embarrassing that the truth was far from what Alice imagined. David didn't know his uncle at all. He would have no idea what was important to Mac and what wasn't. But David was family, and there was a pull of duty with that title, whether he liked it or not. More so now that he stood there, Alice's soulful eyes staring at him across the driveway. Yeah, I, uh, get it. Alice's face cleared a little. You, Mara, stop it, sweetie. You resemble him a bit, she smiled wistfully. He really was a nice guy. Alice turned back toward her house, once again almost tripping over her son. David considered it a, a miracle that she managed to stay on her feet throughout the day. His feet didn't move from their spot on the concrete drive until he heard the door, blocked from sight by a row of hedges and trees, close on the increasing cacophony of noise that was Alice Monte's life. For her sake, David hoped there wasn't another child waiting for her inside. Shifting to face Mac's house, David took a moment and simply looked at it. The brown paint on the wood siding was definitely an older style. Both the color and the type of siding were outdated by many years. But like the yard, it was kept up well. No peeling paint for loose boards that he could see. David couldn't deny there was a wait after Alice's parting words that hadn't been there before. His hopes of getting in and out in a day with anything worth some money, and then continuing on with his life in Michigan seemed a dim memory. While David might not have known Mac, his neighbor's words struck a chord. How would he feel if he died suddenly, and no one cared enough to sift through his life, the things that were important to him, and just ordered a dumpster to haul it all away? The thought left David with a depressing pall that he couldn't shake as he walked up the path to the front door. Inserting the key into the lock, David had a sudden and irrational fear that it wouldn't work, that he would be locked out as night descended, that his trip out there, more specifically that horrifying flight, would be for nothing. The fact that Alice, mere yards away, held a key, not to mention any other manner of ways to gain entrance to the house that were far more rational than the scenarios his mind currently entertained, seemed far away and non-existent. Then the key turned with an audible click, and David was grounded back into reality. Shaking his head at the foolishness of his own thoughts, David (laughs) thumbed down the latch and gave the door a shove, all the while praying Uncle Mac had an affinity for whiskey. Or any type of alcohol. Buggers can't be choosers and all that. David needed a drink. Any kind of drink. The first thing that hit him was the darkness. Actually, it was the door. The push David had given to gain access to Mac's home, aided by thoughts of whiskey waiting on the other side, was firmer than he had intended. The door flew open, then bounced back after only creating a gap of a few feet. It smacked the toe of David's shoe as he strode forward to enter, sending a shooting pain up his leg and narrowly missing his face as David pitched forward and the door rebounded off his foot and then came back to attack again as it encountered whatever had stopped its path the first time. David sincerely hoped the windows of Alice's home were firmly closed. The words that came out of his mouth were not fit for children's ears. Palm slamming against the painted wood, David spared his face and limped into the dark cavern that was Max foyer. Freehand fumbling for a light switch, he blinked rapidly as gloomy shadows were repelled, slightly, by the dim bulb that ignited overhead. Then the smell hit. David suddenly found himself back on the porch, hand over his nose and mouth to block out what? What particular smell had physically driven him back out of the house, stomach rolling with nausea? The door had swung back toward its frame, leaving only a few inches now backlit by the foyer light. David stood on the porch, staring at that opening and trying to gain the courage to breach Mac's house. The idea of a dumpster and hired hands to fill it came back full force and with an appeal that was hard to shake. Then Alice's earnest face swam before David's eyes, and he sighed. He wasn't sure why the opinion of a woman he had barely talked to was so important to him, but David found himself limping forward and carefully pushing the door open far enough to gain entrance. Even with his hand over his mouth and nose, the smell was persistent enough to make David wince. Did Mac have a pet that died while he was in the hospital? The stench was unreal, strong enough that David felt he could actually taste it on his tongue. Peering behind the door, David prayed he wouldn't find a human corpse or an animal carcass. How far he had come from simply wishing Mac had a taste for whiskey. Now he was conjuring images of dead things casually lying around his uncle's home. It was a bench. The banality of the object versus what David had invented in his mind made him laugh out loud. The sound was thunderous in the stagnant home and reverted, reverberated back to him in a way that was startling and Creepy. It sounded like an unhinged madman was in the house. And since David was the only person currently inside the residence, it was a humbling and disturbing thought. He clamped his mouth shut abruptly. As David's eyes adjusted to the dim light filtering from the light above, he realized the bench was covered with a plethora of books, files, and coats. Apparently, Mac wasn't a fan of coat hooks. Or bookshelves. A USC sweatshirt was thrown across the top, and it was then that David remembered Mac was a professor of computer science at the University of Southern California. Had the university been notified, or was that David's job as next of kin? As more questions rushed in, David realized he would need to set up an appointment with Mac's lawyer while he was there. There were too many things David didn't know, and he was going to miss something if he didn't have some direction. But first things first, the... um fragrance of mac's house was going to make david keel over before he had a chance to do anything if he couldn't get rid of it acting like a horse with blinders on david stumbled through the foyer and into the main part of the house slapping at walls as he went until he found light switches marveling at how dark it could be when the sun hadn't even set yet david ignored any and all piles of whatever and burrowed through rooms trying to find windows two things became immediately apparent one, the windows were all covered with heavy, outdated, and very dusty fabric curtains, hence the reason for the cave-like feel to Max's house. Two, getting to the windows was going to be a feat unto itself. David could no longer ignore the piles of detritus as he fought past them, over them, and through them to gain access to the casements. Refusing to let the heaping stacks distract him, however, David fought on, desperate for fresh air. A stack of papers tilted precariously, then slid to the floor as he wrestled with the curtains and then the window itself. Light and a wall of warm air tinged with the scent of magnolia were David's reward as the glass and wood frame finally slid upward. He took a deep breath and refused to look down as his shoes creased the papers underfoot while moving on to the next window. And the next. Fresh air and light. Those were his priorities. Several minutes later, David had traipsed through Mac's entire house without truly seeing it. But now the golden light from the setting sun filtered through the windows, illuminating each room, and he had found several more light switches, the small was, well, at least it was tempered somewhat by the flowers and trees in the yard. David's journey had ended in the kitchen, purposefully, as he had a hunch that the room was the main source for the excessive odor pl- plaguing the residents. At least he hoped it was, because if it wasn't, well, that meant something had died amongst the mounds of whatever all this stuff was and David's hopes of finding it anytime soon were slim. He wasn't even sure he wanted to find a decaying animal carcass anyway. David was right about the kitchen. Hands on hips, he surveyed the room. It appeared math wasn't one for washing dishes, or throwing anything away. As he began focusing on the rooms around him, dread pooled in David's chest. Either his uncle was a hoarder, or he was the worst housekeeper in the history of cleaning. Piles of papers were Everywhere. Everywhere. Earlier thoughts of whiskey had fled with the appearance of Alice and her children. The toxic odors emanating from the house as David crossed the threshold were also a great diversion. But now those musings of amber liquid were back full throttle. He was going to need something with alcoholic content to get through this. David's quick trip to California had quite suddenly been extended. He would need more than a day or two to get through this disorderly disaster. And a hotel, David thought as he glanced toward the bathroom. All ideas of staying at Mac's house during his stay had long since evaporated. The sky had darkened considerably by the time David found a new, unopened bottle of Maker's Mark shoved into the back of a cupboard in the dining room. He had to fight through several precarious stacks of junk to even get to the cupboard in the first place, which showed how desperate he was. At least Mac had decent taste in spirits. Now David just had to pray he hadn't thrown out all the glasses. A few short minutes later, the only drinking vessel remaining in Mac's kitchen was clutched in David's hand, an inch of whiskey in the bottom. It was plastic, but he wasn't going to complain. As the whiskey burned a path down his throat and warmed his stomach, David decided to take another stroll through the house to prioritize rooms for sorting. The revelation of Mac's filing system changed things a bit. As in, a lot. David was at the back of the house poking through drawers in Mac's bedroom when a soft thud filtered down the hall. He paused, one hand in the small nightstand by the bed, the other still wrapped around the plastic cup of whiskey. Several seconds passed as he strained to hear any sound that shouldn't belong. But everything was quiet, the only sounds, those filtering in through open windows, muted and distant. It was hard to know if the thump David heard came from outside or whether he had heard it at all. His writer's imagination often tended to run away, creating situations and sounds that weren't really there. It was concurrently a blessing and a curse. David was just about to chalk it up to his overactive mind and continue with the search, which admittedly made David feel slimy and underhanded, even though he knew he had every right to do so. When a loud crash and muffled swearing overtook all other muted sounds from outside, there was no way to avoid that. Someone was in the house. Already on edge from the flight, soul dumping on Rhoda, Alice and her entourage, and finding out Mac's house was a serious contender for the show Hoarders, Finding out someone had infiltrated the house when David wasn't paying attention put him straight over that edge. Jerking upright, his hand scraped hard against the top of the drawer opening as David yanked his hand free. The pain was sharp and instant, and he reached to clutch the injured appendage with his other hand. Unfortunately, David still held the cup of whiskey, which sloshed up and over the side, landing on his shirt. Swearing, he stumbled backward only to encounter the bed, the mattress edge hitting the back of his knees and causing them to collapse. David suddenly found himself on the floor, hand throbbing, whiskey cup empty, and with unease moving in swiftly as he wondered if the other occupants of the house had heard his floundering mishaps. Because it occurred to him just then that the people on Mac's house weren't there for a social visit.
0: Nice. Thank you so much you can you can keep reading if you like i mean i'll, I'll <laughs> just just read the whole story out loud i'll be happy to listen oh all night. <laughs> <laughs> it was wonderful it's it's so um the tension in it is so really cool mm-hmm. i i love how all the little details that you show about him work, working through the house just keep building on that tension um how hard is it for you to create that in a story? Does that come naturally for you? Is that something that sense of tension, something that you and Matthew collaborated on together? Because you do this in some of your other books too. And I've always been curious to learn as a as an author myself how how you grab that tension and make it work for you.
1: Um honestly it it is something that comes more naturally. Um I think. Some of it is just very natural and just kind of what's in my own mind, and what would make me feel that tension if I was reading the story for the first time and not just writing it. Um, Some of it is reading other books that are similar to what I'm writing and kind of noting as I'm reading what causes that feeling of um just urgency or the ramping up of tension um mm-hmm. in myself, and what, what about that passage has made me feel that way and kind of just trying to incorporate some of those things in my own writing too, but it's usually not very hard for me to,
0: to do that. Well, that's why your mysteries are so great. <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> I'm so glad that you came back and I know that you're going to be doing more episodes with us in the future because you just keep writing more books, which I'm all for. I'd really appreciate it if you'd slow down a little bit though. <laughs> Because I'm having difficulty keeping up.
1: I know. I'm. I don't know that I can, but you know. I understand. I understand.
0: <laughs> thank I, you so much for coming on the program, Deborah. I really appreciate it, and we'll, we'll look forward you. to having you back. All right. I look forward to coming back. <laughs> thank you. Thanks. Thank you for listening to Indie Reads Aloud Radio. We hope you'll join us again next week for another story. If you're an indie author and you'd like to share your story with us, visit our website at dkpwriter.com to sign up and read aloud.